0: This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends. Welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Now, depending on where you garden, you may have just had your first frost or even a hard freeze. If you're one of my warm climate gardeners, you're steadily marching toward the time of year when plants begin to go dormant, or if you don't have a Persephone period, that time of year when growth at least slows dramatically. Now is the time to take advantage of that period of time to either put the garden to bed for the winter or to get it ready for spring, or ideally, both. Today, we're talking about what to do to get your garden ready for winter slumber, even if you're overwintering plants in those beds, and how doing these activities now will absolutely get you to a better start in the spring. It took me years to realize just how much better my season starts in the spring if I do some of the prep work now. My mental state and my garden soil both thank me for it. We're also chatting about the question or comment that I've gotten the most this fall from gardeners at the market stand, and of course, since this is Missouri, it obviously has to do with growing tomatoes. I'll weigh in on why this year was such a horrible year for growing tomatoes here, and what you can do in your own garden to give yourself a better chance at harvesting your most loved fruit or veggie. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So, what has been the most frequent comment or question that I've gotten at the farmer's market stand since we moved into fall? It's, I got hardly any tomatoes this year, or the question, why was it such a bad year for tomatoes? I can't tell you the number of disappointed gardeners that I've spoken to who felt like they did everything right and they still only got a few tomatoes off of each of their plants or just a few tomatoes total off of multiple plants. If this is you and it doesn't matter what crop it is it could be tomatoes it could be green beans cucumbers whatever your favorite is but if you struggled this year or any other time to get a consistent crop or any crop at all there are very many reasons that this can happen and there's one really good way to hedge your bets against this happening to you. First off, what causes a, quote, bad year for a vegetable that you normally grow with ease? It really could be any number of things. If we look at the tomato problem here, for example, it was a series of compounding problems. To start with, we had a pretty wet spring. That's not unusual for us, and it wasn't unusually wet, but it was cooler, wetter weather lasting a little bit longer than usual for us here. Great for spring greens, not so great for getting our tomatoes off to a good start. If we don't pay attention to these things and we plant our tomatoes out too early, well this can lead to a higher prevalence of tomato plant diseases. So cool, wet weather is a great breeding ground for fungal diseases that can attack our plant stems and our leaves and that leads to problems. These same conditions can also lead to the next round of fungal diseases that are prompted by the warming temperature. So not only do we get hit with an early round of disease, but then those already weakened plants are hit with the next round as the temperatures finally start to warm up. So now we're dealing with even further weakened plants that have to split their energy between fighting off disease and likely insect pests while still trying to flower and produce fruit. So then next we have that pest pressure. This likely wasn't an increased factor for tomatoes specifically this year here. I mean, we had our usual share of like the tomato hornworms and the armyworms and stuff, but for other crops, it may have been an issue. Japanese beetles swarmed really, really heavily here, and it played a major role in crop loss for some folks. I mean, our green beans, for example. Cucumber beetles were really bad. Squash bugs were bad as usual. All those things play into what can stress a plant that can cause damage to flowers and fruits and then will eventually affect our overall yield. And then finally, we have weather conditions. After that early spring, cool, wet weather, we moved into super high temperatures for longer than usual amounts of time and a complete drought, like Mother Nature completely turned the faucet off. Even watering daily at this point may not be enough to really help your plants thrive. Unless you're using well water or natural surface water like from a pond or something, you're using municipal water and that has been treated. This means it's not ideal for your garden. Of course, it's better than letting your garden dry up, obviously, but nothing beats rainwater for giving plants what they need to flourish. And if you're only using that tap water, it can take its toll. Add that to the fact that many gardeners just don't water deeply enough. I would much rather see someone only water one bed per day in their garden, but water that bed for like a full hour to really let the water soak in and have that bed only get watered once a week than to water seven beds every day, but only let each get bed get like 15 minutes of water. So less frequent, more thorough waterings are much, much better for our plants. Besides water stress though, the sheer heat stress is enough to cause many plants just to simply not produce. It's too hot for pollination. It can cause flower drop, it can cause fruit drop. So extreme temperatures are just not ideal for most garden production. So if you have a year where all three of these factors play a major role, it's gonna be a rough gardening season. So what can we do as gardeners to mitigate these circumstances and cover our basis so we at least get something, especially if we have one or two specific crops that we really rely on for fresh eating or preserving? So number one is to identify what those most important crops are, right? If your family goes through loads of tomatoes and you want tomatoes to can up for the winter also, Know what your expectations are of that crop. How many pounds do you need to fulfill that goal? In this way, you can prioritize those plants when the going starts to get tough during the season. If we start to have a really rough onslaught of pests and diseases and weather issues, you can fully focus your energy on those tomato plants and let the other less important parts of the garden go under. I mean, it's never fun to see plants dying or becoming overgrown. I get that. But if you identify your main purpose in the garden, then you can feel better about focusing your energy there and know that it's okay for those cucumbers in the corner to die off because you're busy pruning diseased leaves from the tomatoes because they are your priority. The second thing is to plant multiple varieties. Every variety, whether it's open-pollinated or hybrid, has a unique set of characteristics, and this includes their growth rate and their pattern, their resistance to pests and diseases, their resilience to cold, heat, and drought. Planting multiple varieties of the same crop helps spread the risk out. You may have one variety that is less prone to certain diseases than the others, so if your garden gets hit, it survives when others might not. Another variety may be more resistant to drought, so it does okay when there's no rain, when the other plants start to shrivel and die. Planting more than one variety means if the conditions aren't ideal, you have a variety of genetics that may be able to better withstand those conditions no matter what hits. Along these same lines, we should also be planting varieties that are best for our region, our gardening style, and our experiences. For instance, if you're growing in containers, Choose varieties that are either specified for containers or that are compact varieties. They'll be more manageable for the space and therefore they're going to be healthier. If you try to grow a full-size tomato plant in a vertical planter that's designed for greens... It's just not going to do well no matter how much attention you give it. You also don't want to plant a tomato that takes 90 plus days to reach maturity if you are in a climate that only has 100 days of warm growing days. This is only going to lead to frustration and you'll need to baby those plants to get basically a meager harvest. Instead, opt for a smaller tomato that only takes 68 days to mature and then you'll be able to harvest for a full month or so. And if you know there are diseases prevalent in your area for what it is that you want to grow, grow varieties that have been shown to have resistance to those diseases. If you know you end up with early blight or septoria in your tomatoes every year, then look for resistant varieties. They are out there, trust me. Take small steps to give yourself an advantage. This goes with everything that we plant. And of course, There are things that we should do no matter what that will help us every season, regardless of the type or the variety of the plant that we're growing. Things like proper plant spacing, mulching our soil really well, um, keeping up on pruning back any diseased or dead vegetation, insect prevention. These are all standards of care that we can use to keep our plants healthy so they can have a better chance at withstanding adverse conditions and still produce a crop. A plant that's fighting off disease and also battling a drought while also being attacked by beetles is just not going to have any energy left to produce a crop. Now there is one more thing that we can do to prepare ourselves and our gardens for these unforeseen onslaughts in the garden. And it's one that is really overlooked by most gardeners. I overlooked it for probably close to 10 years and now I am absolutely convinced of its efficacy. And that is succession planting or staggered planting. Now I know we usually talk about succession planting in terms of planting a crop as another one is completing its life cycle so we can, can get a continuous harvest. Things like, you know, bush green beans, that's, that sort of thing. They have a short harvest window of about three weeks. So if we want green beans for longer than that, then we have to plant a second round of beans. And we can do this with many of our crops that have shorter growing periods. Um, You can plant radishes every two weeks and get a continuous harvest for almost the entire season, depending on where you live, because they only take about 30 days to get to maturity. This is the traditional way of thinking about succession planting. But what I've come to understand is that this works for our longer season crops too. The only reason I have tomatoes coming out of my garden right now is because I planted some in June and again in July. Those tomatoes that I planted back in May, the ones that got destroyed by the raccoons and the deer, they produced a little bit eventually, but not much. I now routinely plant my tomatoes in three stages. In this way, if the early ones get taken out by disease, I've got a second crop coming along already. If the second batch is taken out by drought, then I've got that third batch that will produce during the days when the weather is cooling off and water needs have decreased a little bit. I've done the same thing this year with bell peppers. My earliest bell peppers that were planted out in May, they're done for the season. The drought took them out completely. But the ones I planted at the end of June are loaded with peppers coming to maturity right now. I just need to keep them protected from frost and just let them keep going. I planted multiple rounds of cherry tomatoes. This style of planting is good for those crops too that really start to struggle after a while. They may still be producing but they look horrible and they take more energy to keep going than it's worth because their production drops so low this is particularly true for cucumbers for me so i plant cucumbers in succession or staggered the reason that this was such an epiphany for me is because it is absolutely contrary to everything that i read about gardening in my region my go-to guide for my planting calendar has always been the missouri university extension vegetable planting guide i've linked to it in several episodes show notes i've talked about it before It gives specific dates for each major garden crop and breaks it down by our region of the state. Um, It also talks about when to start indoors, whether to start from seed or to transplant, all that goodness. But do you know when it says I should plant my tomatoes? From May 10th to May 20th. That's it. A 10-day window. Which also coincides with when I should be also planting squash and peppers and eggplant and beans and sweet corn and about a thousand other things in the garden. And trying to do all those things all at once makes for a very stressful gardener. (laughs) It also can lead to making mistakes while planting or rushing to get things in the ground when maybe the conditions aren't ideal because, well, the plants are all getting too big for their pots or any other number of problems, right? Have you felt this before? Like, Oh my gosh it's go time and it can be fun and exciting for sure especially if you've just been waiting all winter chopping at the bit to get back out in the garden but that excitement can be wiped away by stress or panic if we're doing too much at once and as a market farmer we plant loads and loads of plants so that ten day window would mean literally thousands of plants going in the ground all at the same time, and that is just not how I choose to start my season. So, these staggered plantings have become the solution, and at the same time have made it so that we often have a harvest coming in no matter what the season throws us. So, for next year, if you've experienced conditions in your garden before that led you to not get anything out of a crop that you were really counting on, Think about staggering those plantings. Choose varieties that are conducive to your area. So if you have a short season, pick fast-maturing crops so you can still take the opportunity to plant in succession. If you have a longer season, but you get stupid hot in the middle of the summer, plant some that will mature early and be done before that heat hits, and then plan for a later maturing variety to plant later on. Work with your seasonal shifts instead of against them to make your garden more resilient to unexpected conditions. All right now. As we move into fall, and it gets toward the time of year here in the northern hemisphere anyway, where our gardens either completely die off, or they go dormant for a period of time, or maybe they're just not quite as full and busy as the heaviest part of the growing season, we should be looking at how to prepare for that period of time and how to prepare for next season. So there are two main things that I focus on in winter garden prep. It's protect the soil and feeding the soil right both of these things can be done in different ways depending on your garden setup and your goals so when I'm talking about these things this goes equally as well for in ground gardens in ground beds and raised planters if you're doing everything in pots this really isn't quite going to apply to you um, other than you know going ahead and adding nutrients to those soils or refreshing the soil that's in those pots But if you are in ground or you are in containers, um, raised bed containers, um, this is absolutely where you want to pay attention. Okay, so first, let's dig into protecting the soil. Um, Likely, the first thing that should come to mind with you um, with this is mulch, right? Mulch in the off season, its main purpose is to preserve the topsoil. Okay, this is this is what we want to do: a high quality garden soil has an organic matter content of about 5%. That's considered like the ideal, okay? So the closer we can get to that, the better. 3% or higher is the goal. Our topsoil, right, is the top 12 inches of our garden. Most of our annual plant roots will sit at about the 4 to 6 inch mark. So they are smack dab in the middle of that topsoil. The topsoil has the highest level of plant available nutrients present in our garden. So we really want to preserve that top 12 inches. I read somewhere, I think it takes something like 500 years to produce one inch of topsoil. So you can see how valuable it is. And it washes away way more readily than when you would think. A really hard rainstorm can wash away about four-tenths of an inch of topsoil in just one storm if it's not protected in some way. So if you're leaving it open to the elements, you are losing a really good resource in your garden. So this mulch To protect the topsoil can come in two different forms. It could be a mulch that we put on top of the soil or it can be a living mulch that we plant into the topsoil. So that first one is what we're used to talking about. We usually talk about throughout the summertime gardens um, to keep you know the moisture in and to keep the weeds out. These are things like straw Um, a heavy layer of chopped leaves, pine needles, newspaper, commercial compost, and even wood chips. Even your unfinished home compost can be used as a mulch and put on top of the soil just to keep it from blowing away, washing away, all of those types of things, right? The other version of this is living mulch and that is what we usually refer to as a cover crop. You know, a cover crop is anything that is specifically planted to, in this instance, protect the soil um, from erosion. You're wanting to use those plants to hold that soil in place. So... If you've got beds where you're going to be planting immediately in the early spring from transplants, you can plant something like a clover. It's very low-lying. You can transplant uh, plants right into it. Uh, There's no need to remove the crop. You just plant into it and leave the cover crop in place as a living mulch, even while you're growing those spring crops. Um, It can also be something like a vetch, right, that fixes nitrogen into the soil. And those roots will be in place to decompose while those tops are being used as a mulch. So you are feeding the soil at the same time. A lot of these things are going to go hand in hand. Other, like, taller cover crops, things like brassicas, right, mustard plants. These are really good to plant in beds where maybe you're not going to be planting until a little bit later in the spring. So you can come back through and just kind of pull those dead tops back and go ahead and plant your plants into it. Now if you're in an area where it doesn't winter kill um, because you're in a warmer climate you'll have to chop these down but you want to use what we call a chop and drop method to do this. You cut the tops off, you just lay them down on top and let them die back naturally. You want to leave those roots in the ground. That is what's going to add some some really good uh, biomass in there. Um, Other cover crops that are good for, if you have soil that's really compact, brassicas like forage radishes or turnips. You plant those in the late fall and allow them to grow and sort of sit in place at a mature state which helps to loosen that soil up and then once they die over the winter they're gonna start to naturally decompose so they're gonna hold the soil in place all winter and then they're gonna break down in the soil in time to plant in the late spring now again if you're in a more mild climate you probably want to go ahead and pull those they probably won't be completely uh, broken down You can pull them and compost them if they haven't decomposed fast enough and they sort of get in the way. When you're talking, you know, protecting with mulch versus cover crops, which should you choose? Um, For me, if I have beds that I'm going to plant in early in the spring that I'm doing by seed, right? My carrots, my radishes, turnips, beets, any of my loose leaf lettuces, I will use mulch. Um, because it's just a lot easier to be able to just pull that mulch back and go ahead and directly sow into that soil versus a cover crop that I might have to pull or that I might have to mow down or do the chop and drop that sort of thing but if I'm planting Plants, if I'm transplanting plants, then I will choose a cover crop and I will choose the cover crop that seems to match best with what I anticipate planting that next season. I don't have my crop plan done yet, but I do have a good idea just because I rotate my crops of what might be going into that bed the next season, so I'll try to choose something that works appropriately. You know, your goals for mulching in the winter are gonna be slightly different from what they are when you're actively growing a crop. Generally speaking, during the winter time, we're not nearly as worried about weeds. Um, But if you are using a mulch to protect the soil, it does prevent new weeds from popping up immediately as the soil temperatures begin to rise in the spring. And it's also gonna protect any wind-blown seeds from dropping down onto the soil and being ready to sprout as soon as the conditions are right. But with wintertime mulching, your main goal really is just to keep that soil in place by protecting it from any um, heavy moisture fall and strong winds. Um, The mulch is also important over the winter for moisture retention. And it also keeps the soil a little bit warmer, so that allows for faster growth to take off in the spring. Now, if you are a gardener who is going to be actively gardening in the winter, if you don't have a Persephone period and if you are in a warmer climate, um, or if you have crops that you are overwintering, it is still important to put this mulch down. Um, you just want to mulch around the plants that you still have in your garden. It is still going to be important to protect that soil as much as possible. In addition, you're also going to get all those other benefits that we normally get from mulch, which is, you know, moisture retention, preventing the weeds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when you mulch in the winter to protect the soil, um, in the spring you have a couple of options you can either just pull the mulch back and plant down into it and then just kind of push it back around you know the the plant for continued protection or if it's a living mulch that's low enough and it doesn't impede the growth of the plants that you're doing, you can plant directly into them. Or you can do some sort of a combination thereof. You know, cover crops that need to be mowed down that they are, you know, really tall and didn't really winter kill can be mowed and just, like I said, left to lay there. And you can just kind of pull that residue to the side and plant right down into the soil. Straw mulch, you know, same thing, pull it aside, push it back around the plant for continued protection during the rest of the season. Um, The main thing is that we just want to keep that topsoil in place for as long as we possibly can because that is going to give our spring plants a much better start to the season. And it's also protecting the overall health of our garden for the long run mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and member fdsc you guys know i've been using elm dirt's products in our greenhouse and gardens all summer long with fantastic results but now i've realized all my house plants i've neglected all gardening season are in desperate need of being potted up just in time elm dirt has announced their newest product their all-purpose potting mix This mix is a blend of organic ingredients crafted to create a living potting soil. Not only does it contain their ancient soil, a blend of worm castings along with four of the most bioactive soil enhancing ingredients, it also contains no peat moss. You guys know I'm super concerned about the environmental impact of peat moss and Elm Dirt has chosen to use pit moss for water retention instead. Pit moss is made from organic recycled paper and is a sustainable alternative to peat moss, which makes my little sustainable heart very happy. Elm Dirt is offering Just Grow Something gardening friends a little something special to get you started in using their products. Go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash dirt and use the code JustGrow at checkout to get a free bottle of their bloom juice with any purchase. That's JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash dirt with code JustGrow at checkout for a free bottle of bloom juice with any purchase from Elm Dirt. All right, so what about that second concern, adding nutrients back to the soil during the winter time. We absolutely need to add those nutrients back into soil that we've been growing in all season long. I mean, our gardens start really early in the spring. We go all through the summer and into the fall with a lot of really heavy feeders. You know, the nutrients aren't going to add themselves back in on their own. And this is especially important if you're using raised planters and even more so if you haven't been feeding your plants regularly throughout the season. So your garden is going to thank you in the spring by doing a little prep work now. So how do we do this? We we definitely want to do this through natural sources, organic sources. We don't want to be doing this with any type of, you know, liquid fertilizer or that sort of thing. Um, mulch our mulch that we use depending on what we use we can use those to also add nutrients back into the soil Um, we want to be sure that we're accomplishing both goals here so if you're choosing a mulch and you also want that mulch to add the nutrients back in then you're going to be choosing your materials wisely here right but by using organic sources of this, we're not only adding nutrients back in, we're also improving the soil structure. Um, it's adding additional air space in the soil. It's improving water holding capacity. So this goes way beyond just adding plant food or liquid fertilizer to our beds and calling it good. We are also feeding the microorganisms and the fungi that are responsible for helping to move those nutrients to the plant roots when we do finally plant again. In the same vein, cover crops will also add nutrients back into your soil. Once again, you can use it as a mulch, and you can also use it to add that really good biomass that will eventually break down into nutrients that are available to your plants. The cover crops do this by breaking back down into the soil when they're mowed or they're chopped down, or you know, in the case of like radishes and turnips when they're allowed to biodegrade into the soil when they reach their maturity. Some cover crops fix nitrogen while they're growing. Um, Things that are in the legume family, like vetch and clover and winter peas, those are actually trapping nitrogen in nodules that are attached to their roots. So if you're using those as a mulch, and you also intend to use those as a way to add nutrients back into the soil, then leave those roots intact in the ground. So whether they die off naturally or you have to cut them back, do not pull the entire plant because you want those nodules to be in the soil so that that nitrogen stays in the soil. Now, other natural mulches will break down while acting as a mulch, some faster than others, some with more nutrients than others. Straw is really the only one that is a little bit less effective at this. Straw makes a really, really good mulch. But there's not a whole lot of sort of nutrient content to it. Um, It's got a lot of, you know, kind of mass to it. But it also breaks down more slowly than a lot of the other mulches that we can use. So if you're planning on using straw as your mulch, you may decide that you're going to want to add something to the soil directly directly before putting the straw on top. So the best things for adding nutrients and organic matter are going to be things like chopped or mulched leaves, grass clippings, livestock manure or bat guano, compost, and worm castings. Those are all going to break down fully in the off-season. And then If you add those and then add a layer of straw or wood chips on top of that, then that's going to serve both purposes. You're going to be amending the soil at the same time that you are protecting it. Adding these substances in the fall are going to allow them to break down and become water-soluble over the winter so that the spring-planted crops can take full advantage of those nutrients. And this is why when you use commercial compost... If you're only using it as a mulch, that's fine, you can use it throughout the season. But if you are really trying to get the most out of the nutrients in that commercial compost, then you want to do it during the off-season. So it has time to break down and become biologically active again. We've talked about this in previous episodes. Commercial compost is heated to such a high temperature intentionally in order to be able to kill off um, plant diseases and pesticide residue and any you know bad funguses and stuff that are in that material. In the process it also kills off all the good stuff. So it takes some time for that compost to become biologically active again. It needs to be inoculated with the microbes that are already existing in your garden. So now is the perfect time to be adding layers of compost to your garden soil in order to be able to let it break down over the season and really work its way in. You can also do this with your home compost even if it hasn't completely broken down yet. If you've been adding stuff into a pile all season, whether or not you've been turning it or not, it may not completely be broken down. Our home compost piles just don't get nearly as hot as a large managed one. So there's no harm in taking that unfinished compost and adding that to your garden now. You can do that and then add a layer of straw over top, sort of heating it up a little bit, or you can just throw it right on top. Um, If you're somebody who tills, you may want to go ahead and till that in now. Um, You know, I've gotten away from recommending tilling, but that's personal preference. Um, better to do it now than to wait until the spring. Um, and so work it in however it is you're going to be. It's going to break down. It's going to continue to break down in your garden the same way it was going to in your compost pile. The only thing that you have to look out for in the spring is whether or not there's, you know, huge chunks of things that maybe haven't broken. You might have to rake those out a little bit. But other than that, yeah, go for it. It's going to be easier to work with now anyway. Because if you're in an area where you get hard freezes, I mean, I've seen compost piles, small compost piles, freeze solid and not defrost in time to be used in the spring. So now's a good time to chuck all that stuff out in the garden and start your compost pile over fresh. If you're using um, animal manure, this is also the best time to add that, too, because it gives it a chance to break down and to mellow. And I'm not talking about already composted manure. I'm talking about stuff that you're getting fresh off of somebody's farm or whatever. Um, Now is the time to put that in there so it gets a chance to break down and you have uh, less of a chance of burning your plant roots when you plant them in the spring. What about additions of other specific nutrients or amendments? Um, In most instances... You know, fall is going to be the time to be adding things that you absolutely need. Now, nitrogen and potassium in their water-soluble forms really shouldn't be added again until the spring. I'm talking about, you know, liquid plant foods and things that you would normally add. If you add them now, they're not going to be retained in the soil because there's not going to be anything to take up those nutrients. You don't have any plants actively growing in there. Um, and so it's just going to wash away. Even if you have a cover crop sitting there, those cover crops generally don't need those nutrients in that manner. Um, so just let them do their job. Don't don't worry about feeding them. Anything, though, that's in a non soilable form like wood ash or lime, gypsum, any other amendments that need time to break down before they can be used by the plants should be added in the fall. I really recommend doing a soil test. You should always be doing that at the beginning of the season and at the end of the season because you want to know what you should and should not be adding back into your soil. It is very, very easy to add too much and end up with a nutrient toxicity in your plant in the spring. So unless it's a known issue that needs to be addressed, like, you know, very acidic soil that needs lime to help bring uh, the pH up or whatever, you know, um, don't just add amendments without testing. These natural things, you know, like I said, the, the leaves and the grass clippings and those sorts of things, you can't really overdo it. Um, with those things. But any other form, yeah, you very well may create a problem where you don't already have one. And then one final note about prepping your beds for the winter. This is now also the perfect time to prepare them um, for planting if you are in an area that has very wet springs. I spent years just sort of waiting until spring to prep my garden beds, only to get those crops in too late because it was too wet to work in the soil on uh, the gardens without doing any damage in the spring. We that's usually one of our wettest times of the year, and so the early spring we get a lot of rain. You don't want to be walking in the mud. You don't. You can't till. Um, you'll be doing damage to that soil. Um, you can't even you know plant a lot of the times if you haven't protected that soil because it's just too wet and boggy. So this, again, is where mulch is going to help you tremendously um, protecting the soil and keeping it from compacting and, and, and keeping it from getting too waterlogged. It also gives us a place to sort of walk in between the beds, too, when the ground is saturated in the spring. So the more that you can prep now think about the things, or refer back to your garden journal, um, that you struggled with this past spring or in previous seasons. What can you do now that is going to help you prep for those activities come springtime and maybe take a little bit off of your plate and get you off to a better start? If you have questions about anything from today's episode I know there was sort of a lot to take in and we we haven't done a full cover crop episode so some of this stuff might have been a little bit confusing Any questions at all, do not hesitate to reach out to me. You can send me an email. You can DM me on social media. You can go to the JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com and message me from there. And you can also jump into the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group and ask your questions to the entire group. I am always in there um, answering questions, and I am always happy to talk gardening. So until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and getting it ready for winter. And I will talk to you again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon. You are losing a really good what is the word I'm looking for? Because that is going to give our spring plants a much better stop. And it's stop. No. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time or seen my posts on Instagram, you know, my husband and I are both former military and that we have a serious coffee habit. We also like to support other veteran owned businesses. So Black Rifle Coffee is our coffee of choice. Not only do they have great coffee and merch, but they give back to military and first responders with every purchase. If you'd like to support this podcast and another veteran-owned business while also supporting your own coffee habit, head to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Give them a try with no commitment you can cancel at any time. That's JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com coffee for 20% off your Coffee Club subscription.